Welcome back to another episode of the R Squared Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Levy. Today's guest is Aaron Barzilai, former director of analytics for the Philadelphia 76ers. Aaron talks about some of his experiences working for the 76ers and the Memphis Grizzlies, um, some differences on how analytics are used in the public and private sphere, and some thoughts on the nature of the SportView data set. All right, welcome to the show, Aaron. Glad to have you on. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so you have a uh, you have uh, an interesting background for for uh, at least for our podcast guests because you've uh, you've sort of been on both sides. You've done some public work and you've done some uh, work behind the scenes for teams. Um, but I'm wondering if you can get us started. Just uh, uh, explain a little bit about your background, how you first got into basketball analytics, um, and then you know a little bit about the path that got you to where you are now. Sure, sure. So I would say that, you know, I've always been someone that loved uh, basketball, you know, almost as long as I can remember. Probably not, you know, when I was a teeny tiny kid, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, all throughout uh, junior high and high school. Um, you know, I, I went to uh, MIT undergrad and I played on the basketball team there, although I think it's fair to say that I actually only really practiced. I've gotten a few games, uh, but uh, you know, despite the fact that we did not uh, – have uh, the success that uh, the team has had lately. Um, they've been doing pretty well in Division Three. So you know, I always loved uh, playing basketball, um, and you know, but I never really thought at the time, uh, especially since that was sort of like early '90s, uh, that basketball working in the NBA would be a, a potential career for me. So I went uh, to grad school, went out uh, to uh, Stanford, uh, got my master's, and my PhD there, and. Always, you know, like any good grad student, managed to find things to do uh, other than my actual uh, schoolwork <laughs> and working on my uh, thesis. And so, you know, many, among the many things I would, would try and do um, would be things along the lines of like trying to invent uh, uh, a better BCS formula mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. You know, so I was always kind of, you know, thinking about sports, you know, thinking about, you know, numbers. It kind of was sort of a natural fit. But I didn't really kind of think about it as a real kind of career option when I graduated. I'd even kind of contemplated, you know, potentially working, uh, you know, as a manager or something uh, for the Stanford team. When I got there, I was mm-hmm. there uh, on campus. My first year was also uh, Brett and Knight's uh, oh. year on campus. As <laughs> I well. remember so those was, years fondly. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good time for Stanford basketball. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, you know, I just couldn't quite see myself taking all these loans out um, in grad school and then like doing laundry for freshmen, it just didn't really <laughs> sort of seem, seem to make sense. And so, um, you know, so I didn't really think about it that strongly, but it was always something that I was interested in. So I finished up, kind of realized that, uh, you know, the academic route wasn't quite what I wanted to pursue and, mm-hmm. uh, decided to kind of go into industry. That's when I kind of got into more, uh, you know, doing sort of business analytics kind of work where so I learned how to you know, really kind of very practically program. I'd taken a number of classes on it uh, in school, but um, really got that kind of real world experience Mm -hmm. uh, working for about, uh, you know, five years or so. And then, um, you know, I distinctly uh, remember this. I read the um, Chris Ballard had an article in the uh, Sports Illustrated season preview. uh, I think the 2004, 2005 preview maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, was talking about um, basketball analytics and how it was this emerging field. And, you know, it seemed to me that, um, you know, I never really played baseball growing up. I hadn't really loved uh, baseball. 
Um, but it seemed like, you know, this was something that at least I could maybe have a chance to do. Suddenly it seemed, you know, a little bit more reasonable. I could tell, um, you know, that maybe even if I wasn't going to be, you know, some kind of uh, superstar in the field, that I had a chance to be, you know, kind of approximately as good as uh, some <laughs> of the people that were doing it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people doing it at the time, people like Roland, I remember Roland Beach was particularly featured. Um, but it seemed a little bit less daunting just because at least I could sort of, you know, it sounded good to tell myself like that I, you know, I played <laughs> basketball in college and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, it was a little easier to talk myself into than mm-hmm. the idea that I could go work for a, ba- a baseball team, which just seemed kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so naively, <laughs> I tried, started trying to pursue it uh, as a hobby. I was working in uh, consulting at the time, and so then I would be, um, you know, I, I started out um, kind of reflecting my more uh, academic background, uh, you know, trying to uh, write an academic paper mm-hmm. uh, about it, and I kind of foolishly tried to submit it to a few journals, and, you know, it wasn't particularly good, and they all kind of gently said, oh, this is interesting, mm-hmm. but, you, know, you know, not quite the right thing. And then I realized at the time, uh, as I was doing it, that, um, in fact, you know, instead of being like a relatively short theoretical paper, you know, like, holy cow, the data is actually out there, mm-hmm. you know, at the NBA. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, I guess I ought to actually try and gather that data <laughs> and try and use it instead of just write a theoretical paper. <laughs> and so um, and so that's really how I sort of started doing uh, basketball value. Kind of one thing led to another, um, you know, the the very beginning, you know, the sort of silly things that I was doing, you know, over time I was on the APBR metrics board, um, you know, was getting good feedback um, that kind of helped me kind of learn about kind of where things were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just sort of happened to be a really um, good time. I was very fortunate to be starting out around then. So mm-hmm. I didn't really have any specific dreams of like, oh, I want to go work in the NBA, but it just seemed like a a field that would be kind of interesting to do and kind mm-hmm. of a fun project. And if it led to something great, you know, the odds really seem long. Uh, but then at the same time, that was the, right around then was when the first Sloan conference happened. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, you could totally see it was this, especially that first year, a very small group of people, you know, it was back in my old classrooms uh, <laughs> at MIT. I got to sort of, you know, meet uh, people and make some friendships that I still have to this day. And I could mm-hmm. sort of see that it was a, a small community and like, you know, hey, maybe this had a chance of actually leading to something more. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was definitely a bit of a grind, um, you know, first just doing the core work to get uh, basketball value up. And then um, it was definitely a grind to kind of keep it going during the season, mm-hmm. you know, many times, you know, especially around this time of year, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, you know, how am I going to going to make it to the end of the season because it's a lot of a lot of lost sleep and a lot of time Mm -hmm. invested um and you know like any process you would um think you know there definitely were ups and downs Mm -hmm. um and for me what what i always say is that you know there were definitely times we were kind of questioning why am i um, you know, putting all this time and doing all this, what's really the benefit? I could sort of see, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, a few people were coming to the website, but not that many. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, but then, you know, periodically different little things would happen. I um, got to know uh, Henry Abbott. He was started linking to my stuff and he happens to live uh, fairly close by to me in uh-huh. uh, central Jersey. And so sort of got to know him a little bit. Um, you know, some of the other bloggers started using it. And so as you could sort of see different, um, 
times when sort of the site was was being a little more useful. That would kind mm-hmm. of be a nice little uh, shot of adrenaline and yeah. keep me going for a while. And of course, I think everybody, <laughs> whenever they um, go to the Sloan Conference, they kind of come back energized as well. Yeah. Um, right. And so everyone has big dreams mm-hmm. in the month of March and then kind of reality hits, especially the people that are doing stuff on the side. So, yeah. um, you know, so I started working uh, on it uh, more and more and could kind of tell that I was making a little bit of progress. And then I could sort of figure out my sense was, and, you know, I mean, I guess it turned out to be right. Um, although, uh, you know, perhaps again, it was a little naive, but I sort of had the sense that like, Hey, you know, especially back then there were not 30 teams doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like I sort of knew everybody in the public space. You know, there were, I think a few people that I, I wasn't aware of and that were kind of keeping their stuff very private. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I sort of could tell that, you know, there were what, like, you know, at the time, maybe say five or seven teams and like, you know, sure, there might be a few people I know that I might hire uh, for an NBA team before I would hire myself. Uh-huh. Um, but I could tell, you know, it wasn't sort of 30 minus N. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if in fact the league moved as it was looking to the point where everybody would have someone, I mm-hmm. kind of felt that I would be sort of qualified to, to be doing it. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, eventually one thing led to another first, you know, had a few interviews, didn't get the, uh, job. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, got a small little project, uh, actually with Philadelphia. Um, but, uh, didn't really lead to anything permanent. And then, um, eventually got an opportunity to, uh, work, uh, for, uh, Chris Wallace in Memphis. And so mm-hmm. I did that for, uh, a few years. Um, and, uh, uh, was doing that sort of as a consultant. I was doing it remotely mm-hmm. um, and sort of on call, sort of on retainer was kind of how I described mm-hmm. it, sort of as available mm-hmm. as needed when there was work and otherwise yeah. just kind of maintaining stuff. And mm-hmm. so as I was doing uh, that, eventually um, the opportunity uh, came up uh, here in Philadelphia for, uh, or in the Philadelphia, in Philadelphia for uh, a full-time position. So then I was there for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about the past two years, I guess, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, as the director of, uh, basketball analytics. And so I did that, you know, it's kind of one thing sort of slowly led to another. And I think that when I, um, uh, I've been working for my consulting firm and when I got the job, I think, um, you know, not so much the people there, but, um, you know, some people were like, Hey, congratulations. And I think there was a sense that, Oh, maybe I just happened to have been working in mm-hmm. consulting, doing sort of business analytics, and it led to um, you know being able to get this uh, amazing opportunity mm-hmm. um, uh, working with the Sixers. Um, and I think people didn't quite realize that you know that it was a, a real kind of like you know maybe something like an you know eight year or so lead up, uh, seven or eight year lead up to mm-hmm. actually getting that first uh, full time job, putting that putting that work in. Um, yeah. yeah. Going back to basketball value because I spent a lot of time on basketball value back in the day. I was maybe one of those one of those few uh, one of those few hits. But um, <clears throat> basketball value was one of the first places that I remember. Like so, eighty two games uh, had lineup stats as well, but they had. Um, you know, they would just show uh, like blocks of of lineups, so like the top ten in minutes played or the top ten in effectiveness um, right. for each team. And you uh, at Basketball Value, you had everything. Um, and you also, uh, I remember, uh, it, it sort of felt special that you had all the raw data there that you you kept the raw files updated. So it was sort of a repository for people who wanted to start doing this work. You were scraping the data and, and putting it out there for people. 
Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, definitely I felt, one of the things that uh, I've always kind of felt was the most satisfying was like every once in a while, someone would be like, say, like, would say to me, hey, I, you know, I downloaded your data and used it for, um, you know, my analysis. And, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that because, you know, when I first put the site up, I realized it was like so much work just to clean it up because, um, you know, there's just, you know, a lot of errors in the, in the play-by-play file. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that just that alone, even without the adjustments that, you know, in particular Dan Rosenbaum had uh, uh, done a lot of and Steve Alardi as well. Um, uh, although I think that work was a little less public at the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I realized that, you know, not even doing the adjustments, but just getting all the data out there would sort of serve, uh, have some value for the community. And that mm-hmm. was kind of how I, I sort of thought about it. I was kind of doing it a little bit more of an open source model. I wasn't really obviously um, trying to monetize uh, basketballvalue.com, that's for sure. <laughs> well, so, so given that you've sort of been on both sides and, and have that, have, having had that experience of basketball value where, you, where, where part of your work is, is cleaning data and then sort of presenting it for other people to use, I'm wondering your thoughts on this um, uh, on this sort of divide in analytics where there's sort of the haves and the have-nots that, that teams have both in terms of resources and sort of like, you know, now with SportView, the full data set that there's, um, yeah, that there are sort of data haves and data have-nots. And that means that, that um, you know, maybe certain kinds of work aren't able to be done by certain kinds of people who are who are in the public sphere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's definitely uh, a little bit concerning. You see it sort of most manifest, I feel, in the, um, you know, in the Sloan conference competition itself. I've <laughs> seen that concern raised. Um, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, some pretty resourceful people out there that are doing <laughs> um, interesting things. I know certainly on uh, not on calculus, right? You guys are working to kind of scrape uh, everything you can. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think people are definitely trying to do it, trying to do it. I think that, um, but yeah, I do think that that actually can be, um, you know, a real issue. I think you've seen that um, <laughs> stats originally shared the sport view, uh, work with a few people and, mm-hmm. and so but they sort of have as they needed to publicize it less um, it's become a little less generally available mm-hmm. um, and so yes yeah, so I think it is too bad um, that, that there's sort of not a little bit more public data it'll be interesting to see with all the changes that Adam Silver's mm-hmm. been implementing um, and some of them have more and more data with the um, sport view data and the synergy data being up now on nba.com mm-hmm. slash stats. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see if they kind of encourage people to be um, kind of using that more and doing more open source work. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I was with the Sixers, uh, you know, people would often, you know, we talked to a few groups and there'd be some question about, hey, you know, could you do a, a Kaggle competition or something mm-hmm. kind of using the data? You know, the March Madness one um, just closed. Uh, Houston, the Houston Rockets' own Monty McNair, I saw, came in uh, second out of a very uh, large and select group. Um, and, you know, but there's really less opportunity to do that kind of in the NBA space. And I don't know specifically whether a single team, I'm actually a little doubtful, a single team could, mm-hmm. could do that. I would think so that it's kind of come through more of a league Mm-hmm. Uh, perspective, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, a shame if you know it kind of limits the available people that can work on it, mm-hmm. and especially um, you know all the talented people on it that maybe aren't prepared to devote their career to basketball, but could really do you know a lot of cool work if it was a, an element of their research. You know, maybe someone a professor that would do it as kind of one of their projects, but not as their full time focus. Mm-hmm. 
One of the things I think that's interesting is, is like your story in in um, I feel like is so typical with with uh, people who have sort of been at, at the level you've been at and, and are, are working in analytics for teams. It seems like most of these most of the big players have uh, have some sort of statistical background, but it seems like it's almost always another field because sports analytics is such a new field. So it seems like people are always sort of uh, approaching uh, basketball with like a technical skill set and then like a sort of an inherent interest, something that they've grown up with. They've always been interested in basketball, and so they're applying their skills from some other field. Um, and it's interesting now because it feels like a lot of the, um, a lot of the, of the really interesting work that's done publicly, um, just be, because the the field is so crowded, a lot of the most interesting work, it seems like it's coming from people whose backgrounds are sort of unique, so they sort of have a unique perspective on the data or on the approaches, you know, like people who come from the medical field or public policy mm-hmm. or, you know, like Kirk Goldsbury's back background is, um, you know, as a, as a geographer basically. Um, and, and so that the, the, the background that they bring to it sort of naturally lends itself to a different approach or a different viewpoint. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think the other thing that's actually really interesting and is sort of an element of that is I feel, especially around the time when I got in, um, Mm -hmm. people, you know, came from a very eclectic set of, uh, backgrounds and perspectives because you know it wasn't quite the proverbial kind of bill james um, (laughs) work on the night shift kind of thing but you know there was really sort of no established career path and Mm -hmm. so people were just trying it from all different ways that you know um you know had both the passion and the talent and and the luck um and so now though is it's becoming more clear that see there's theoretically a career path here although it's actually um, quite hard, mm-hmm. but you know, you see the Sloan conference just teaming with people that are aspiring, um, analysts in basketball mm-hmm. and, uh, other sports mm-hmm. is I think you're getting, you're seeing sort of as baseball, I think has gone through people now kind of coming through a more traditional model or maybe they're really talented. They go to, you know, a top school and they start off as an intern, um, you know, and they're yeah. doing everything from fetching coffee, shuttling players and, you know, potential summer league, you know, prospects mm-hmm. to um, the airport and back and then slowly over time kind of mm-hmm. work their way up. And so then what happens is I think those people are kind of internal. And so then you're left with the people that are kind of coming in a little later that might be kind of bringing more of the, the unique backgrounds. I wonder if that's a, a piece of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder too, um, so, so like when you look at the field and especially having been on the inside and, you know, potentially hiring people and things like that, do you feel like the, um, the, uh, the sort of like the undervalued skill set, you know, for, we're thinking in, in Moneyball terms is the undervalued skill set now in the field. Is it, is it basketball knowledge? Is it statistical knowledge? Is it sort of technical skill programming, coding, that kind of stuff? Well, I guess I think it has more to do with kind of the technical skill. I think the whole field is kind of shifting from a world where you could have done it, um, you know, a few years ago. I think there's even a lot of people now that are almost, you know, 100% uh, doing their work and say Excel. Mm -hmm. It's certainly gotten a lot more feasible as Excel's, uh, you know, expanded their road limits and everything. But but nevertheless, I think that, you know, what you're starting to see now is there's people that are um, doing the work that are kind of much – Uh, you know, that are becoming kind of expert, you know, they're experts in statistics or experts in computer science. Mm -hmm. um, But I still think it's kind of undervalued, I guess, in the sense that people aren't, uh, you know, know, I don't think, or at least I hope people don't, 
you know, think that like the world, you know, I think people think that the world's greatest athletes, mm-hmm. you know, are in the NBA. I don't think that people think that the world's smartest people are, say, <laughs> the front office and the coaches, uh, 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 <laughs> right? You know, yeah. and so I think that, um, so I guess in some way you could argue that's a little bit undervalued and that like, you know, no NBA team is willing to pay, you know, a Google or Amazon mm-hmm. or Microsoft's willing to pay mm-hmm. um, or Facebook, you know, it's like a freshly minted PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's quite exactly what you were saying though with your question, but, mm-hmm. I, but I do think that there's sort of a sense that, you know, uh, there are some of the really talented people that I see people, um, you know, that I would love to work with, you know, they might be interested in doing the work. And I think you've seen this um, you know, a little bit in the work that Luke Bourne's group's been doing at Harvard, you know, they're not necessarily angling to get a job um, in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I think that they do the work because it's academically interesting. I think mm-hmm. they, um, you know, have other interests uh, as well, uh, academic interests, and are probably eager to, um, uh, and I don't want to project too much. I don't know that group really. Mm-hmm. Although well at all, I've talked to them very briefly, but um, you know, I think they've got you know a number of problems that interest them in the world, and I think that basketball is one of them, but I don't <laughs> think it's the only one. And uh, um, you know, they've got a lot of great options out there as mm-hmm. they kind of think about their career. And you know, working uh, in basketball, you know, might not be the thing that makes the most sense for them, even though they really enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if that technical skill is, is, is sort of, uh, what's necessary and I'm, especially I'm thinking about the, the sport view data sets and they're, they're so enormous and, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the, the technical capabilities that are required to sort of work with the raw data and, and pull specific things out, um, I'm wondering your thoughts sort of on the idea of diminishing returns for teams in terms of the investment that it requires in hardware and, and uh, you know, human uh, technical abilities to, to work with that data. And if the value that's, that's gleaned from it is, is, you know, is maybe not even worth that sort of investment. Oh, um, but I guess it depends know, on the, you know, on a team to team basis and how much they, you know, certain teams will use it more than others and, and, yeah, I mean, I think the teams that, you know, have, you know, obviously a team that's investing a lot in kind of lower and mid-level mm-hmm. technical people, but, you know, sort of at the top is, you know, everyone's worst stereotype about someone that's <laughs> anti-analytics. I, and I think those are all kind of stereotypes that are, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little rough or whatever. But, you know, in that sort of kind of straw man, um, you know, then clearly that seems like a waste of investment if you're kind of not really, um, you know, mm-hmm. got people doing great work and they're not listening to it. I think that, um, you know, I do think in general, though, that uh, there's just so much uncertainty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think we like to be as precise as possible. But, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a ton of uncertainty, um, you know, then it doesn't really make a ton of sense to try and, you know, get the, you know, fourth significant digit or whatever, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to be swamped by the noise. And so I think, that's probably the, you know what you kind of have to to watch for. I think mm-hmm. that um, you know, especially in my time at the Grizzlies, when you know I was kind of one person, I was you know working remotely. Like I didn't really view my role so much as to be around kind of having the absolute best analysis out mm-hmm. of all thirty yeah. teams in the league. But I thought if that um, you know I could sort of raise the kind of uh, comfort that the whole organization has and. Um, you know, in, in sort of understanding some of the more uh, basic kind of analytical approaches that people like to call advanced analytics, but mm-hmm. aren't really aren't really <laughs> that advanced. I don't think anymore. Yeah. Um, you know that that would be a win. Like if the whole 
you know, uh, team sort of understood, mm-hmm. you know, some of the basic concepts that that would be, you know, better than some kind of uh, crazy, you know, black box model that, mm-hmm. you know, I could, maybe I could, or maybe I couldn't <laughs> build that would, you know, kind of say, you know, again, to like four significant digits or whatever, mm-hmm. that LeBron's the best player in the NBA. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause, because, I mean, that's sort of what I always say is that, you know, especially in sort of an academic world, people will get sort of a, a PhD for, you know, maybe a third or fourth order term that mm-hmm. they're describing some phenomenon. But the, but the noise inside, you know, the NBA is such that it's going to be swamped by that little, you know, 0.1% difference in your uh, assessment of, uh, you know, Avery Bradley or Ramon Sessions or, you know, insert <laughs> player here. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, I don't know how, how specifically you can talk about your work with the Grizzlies, but I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm interested in that because I know a couple other people like, you know, Neil Payne has done some, some, uh, sort of remote consulting for the Hawks and, and Kevin Pelton did some stuff for the Pacers. And I, I'm curious about just sort of the nature of that work. Like when you're far away and sort of disconnected from the organization and you're, you're working as a statistical consultant, are you, um, are you sort of, uh, are you generating ideas and analysis and sending it to them or, or, or is the relationship go the other way where it's like, Hey, Aaron, we're interested in this. Can you, you know, sort of put something together here? You know, I think that it was mostly, you know, Hey, and this is kind of how I like to do it in general. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, I tend to be a little more, um, uh, pulled and pushed, right? Like I want to be working on the things that, you know, Chris Wallace or Tony D'Elia or Sam Hinkie, the GMs that I work with, you yeah. know, are interested in. And so, I mean, certainly you want to be proactive as appropriate mm-hmm. and kind of think about, you know, opportunities to go in a certain direction or, you know, kind of maybe some undervalued players. And mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of that um, over time, but, you know, it's sort of the same thing kind of happens, you know, when you're working for a team and, you know, semi-regularly to regularly, you'll get some work that, um, you know, some uh, applicant, essentially aspiring uh, basketball analyst, you know, sends you. And and often what happens is just the timing isn't right. I think most people see this in their day jobs as well. Like there's a time to to be, you know, talking to your boss about a certain topic and a mm-hmm. time not to. And so, you know, in the same way that like, you know, sometimes someone will send me an article about the draft mm-hmm. um, that they've written in November, um, and you're just kind of like, hey, we're, we're sort of you know, not quite, you know, thinking about that right now. And so, like, it, it just inevitably, the time is right. And so, in the same way, um, you, you know, you try to bring up ideas, but uh-huh. also sort of more, you know, like if, um, uh, you know, like everyone's talking about Josh Smith and whether mm-hmm. Josh Smith is going to trade it. If you remember that trade deadline, that was my yeah. uh, first year in uh, Philadelphia when I was working uh, for Tony. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you do a lot of work on Josh Smith. And, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I, I always tend to be more uh, pulled and pushed. And so it was very much that way um, when I was with the Grizzlies. You know, mm-hmm. um, I kind of interacted uh, with Chris to, uh, directly. And, you know, sometimes he had questions and was pretty interested in, uh, in what I was doing. Other times he had many other priorities. <laughs> and so, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, Hamedadati's visa or something like that. Um, just, you know, there, I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And it's really not, I, in my experience, it's actually not all that different. Um, you know, I think when you're in the building, I, mean, I think there's some definite differences in the building and, and not, but the reality is, um, I think if you talk to most general managers across the league, I would guess that a lot of them would say they've got a lot of other responsibilities and they're kind of pulled here, there, mm-hmm. and everywhere. And so you can only really, ca- yeah, I think whether you're in the office or not, you can only sort of catch them 
uh, at the right time and be talking about what they want to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, when they're ready to talk about it and when they're ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that part of it's the same. And so, you know, I was kind of making sure that I kind of had my infrastructure in place. And, you know, most importantly, that I was ready to kind of um, respond on a moment's notice if some kind of, you know, pressing question came up that uh, in that case, Chris was uh, interested in getting the answer to in a timely fashion. So sort of building a, a data set or a database or whatever, where you're sort of able to query up, you know, n- maybe not specific statistics, but sort of, you know, a- answer specific questions and you sort of have, ha- have all the pieces of information ready. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, the reality is, is that people are being, discussed uh, mm-hmm. as I think you're, you know, you're reading paper all the time. I mm-hmm. think the GMs are talking to each other and every once in a while, you know, one of them would be interesting enough that they'll really want to dig into. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in uh, Memphis, I mean, you saw OJ Mayo's name, you know, mentioned in rumors a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think some of those were probably false. Some of those are probably true. And, you know, but I think every, hopefully every front office in the league is, uh, you know, doing their due diligence and, and taking the tires on stuff. And then, mm-hmm. You know, if they're particularly interested in it, then you, you make mm-hmm. sure you really dug into uh, the player that your players you're discussing, both to make sure you're not um, overly biased <laughs> by seeing the flaws of a mm-hmm. player you're watching every day and, and, and thinking you're going to trade, um, and also kind of not ena- overly enamored by a player you might acquire because they happen to score, you know, 20 points against you or something. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, and they're the other conference was the only time you played them so far that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we'll have to stick to generalities here too, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the difference between sort of the public analytics and team analytics. And um, I know one of the things that has come up a lot in Nylon Calculus podcasts and email threads and posts is um, the idea of sort of stats as player rankings and how um, that that's sort of um, it, it's 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 sort of immaterial to sort of the actual business of basketball and you know the idea of like ranking the top ten point guards in the league uh, while it makes for a fun article and and, and fun copy and and, and uh, you know for fans to read uh, at a team level that's sort of not really an interesting question I would imagine. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit of a contrarian, but I, I still think it, it, it does. I think that um, actually, the, you know, that is a part of it. I think sometimes uh, people, I think some of it's very different what's going on in public and private. And some of it, you know, is remarkably similar, too. I mean, I think there's the whole question about who's got the data and who's got mm-hmm. the access. And, you know, a lot of people doing great work, especially early on in their careers, mm-hmm. um, you know, aren't able to focus on basketball 24 yeah. seven um, as much as they would like to. And as much as they try and not sleep to get as close to 24 <laughs> seven as possible. Um, but, you know, if you've got more time, you can, you know, watch more synergy, mm-hmm. you know, then you watch more synergy, right. But I mean, there are definitely people in the media that do, mm-hmm. um, watch, you know, pl- watch plenty of synergy anyhow. And so that's how it gets there. So there's, I think there's actually a lot of similarities. And then I think that, you know, I've heard uh, people say that sort of thing and like you never really boil down a player to one number. And I think sometimes it's true. I think it's more true that like you don't really debate LeBron versus Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Curry versus Harden, I guess, this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, some people do, right? People that are working for basketball teams love basketball and could talk about basketball pretty much all day. And so they would enjoy that <laughs> conversation. Um, and sometimes that conversation happens, but it's not the focus the way it is, you know, especially if you work in the media. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, right? Like, I mean, if you just take a look at, you know, what was probably the most interesting trade at the trade deadline, like I think Phoenix was definitely thinking, as was Milwaukee, you know, mm-hmm. and as were the Sixers about where does, 
you know, Brandon Knight and, and MCW mm-hmm. uh, rank, right? And who's better? And and the thing, the one thing I would say uh, about it is that people sort of say like, oh, it's hard to braille it down to just one number. You know, and they're often talking about things like PER or wind mm-hmm. shares or, you know, now yeah. RPM. But the reality is, is, like, it is boiled down to one number. It's boiled down to their salary, right? Yeah. And so, um, in fact, teams are very often boiling it down to one number when all is said and done. And so I guess that's why I'm not quite in the same place as I mm-hmm. hear a lot of people say. It, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that. But, um, but, but, but I do think, you know, the one number really is dollars. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, to- so totally hypothetically, a case like that with Knight and, and Carter Williams and Dragic um, and, and and moving those players around, how much of that decision do you think was based on a sort of uh, like a like an, uh, an abstract assessment of the player's talent, they're a plus five, you know, by whatever metric, versus the specific skills that this guy has will be more valuable on our team than they looked on the last team or... Uh, or this thing that this guy does well, we maybe don't specifically need because we have three other guys who do it, things like that. Oh, I mean, I guess I think it's probably both of that. I don't think it's so much an abstract plus five. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, you definitely can't just leave it at the single number and say, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's worth whatever, $10 million a year, and so that's it. You need to understand why, and then, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this, you know, you see all this discussion with um, – you know, what's been going on in Cleveland and like, is Kevin Love redundant or not mm-hmm. yeah. in position? Right. So, I mean, all those conversations are happening. And so you're drilling into some of those stuff, but, you know, I think ultimately there's, there, there's just a, a ton of, uh, you know, uncertainty around it. And you are really trying to make an assessment about mm-hmm. like, what will Michael Carter Williams, you know, future look like, you know, mm-hmm. will Jace, you know, it sure seems like the team is, um, you know, counting on um, the positive benefits of working with Jason Kidd. And, mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I think that, um, you know, but there's a lot of uncertainty. I think that, and again, I have no insight into mm-hmm. any of this. I wasn't yeah. um, working for the Sixers when, the, when this uh, happened, right? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think Derek Bodner wrote a really, a, few, a couple of nice pieces about the the trade. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think that, you know, there was uncertainty with how Carter Williams was going to progress and mm-hmm. maybe, what he was going to do with the Sixers isn't the same as what he's going to do, um, you know, in Milwaukee. It's definitely a different situation. He was the first one that kind of came into Philadelphia. Um, you know, he's definitely, I think, not the, you know, just sort of what people perceive as the pecking order there, right? Mm-hmm. I think people, um, you know, uh, you know, Giannis and uh, Jabari were both there before him. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's opportunity for them all to uh, coexist. And so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how things change. I think that, you know, you can never kind of go back and say like, Oh, had he stayed, you know, with this team, same for Brandon Knight, right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, had he he stayed in this team, this would have been his progress and it would have been exactly the same regardless of which team Mm -hmm. he was on. I think it's also contextual. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking about, again, generalities, thinking about the the work that you've done for teams, how much of it would you say, uh, or or how much of this sort of analytic work is focused on uh, like team building, roster construction, assessing talent, uh, you know, trades and that sort of stuff versus uh, improving improving the play on the floor and the stuff that's communicated specifically to players and coaching staffs and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I would say that by and large, my experience mm-hmm. uh, has been much, much more focused on the front office. I think mm-hmm. there are definitely people that do more um, kind of in the coaching space, I guess you'd say, right? Most yeah. notably, Roman Beach. And I've done a, you know, a, bit, a little bit of work 
there. I think it all just depends on the structure of the organization, mm -hmm. whether, you know, how well the coaching staff and the front office are working together um, <clears throat> and, and just sort of, you know, kind of what the what the goals are. I think it mm -hmm. was, you know, a, yeah, you know, with the Sixers, it was very clear that I was part of the front office, I think. Um, you know, I did a little bit more with the coaching staff, but, um, uh, still not a ton, um, with, uh, Lionel Hollins and, um, you know, I sort of tended to interact as, as I think a lot of people do with one of the assistants now the head coach there, Dave Yeager. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, but when you're working with the coaching staff and I guess this is something that wasn't all, all that different, uh, <laughs> between my time in Memphis working remotely and working in Philly in person. I mean, I mean, the fact is that, you know, it's not like you're, uh, talking to the players every day, unless you're part of the coaching staff. And in fact, you know, I definitely wanted to uh, make sure, you know, I think when you're there, you're, there's definitely some risk that you're going to contradict, um, you know, what the coaches are doing, right? You want to make sure anything that you're, you know, that's getting conveyed to the players is through the coaching staff. It's consistent with what the head coach and the assistants uh, want to do. And that kind of everybody is sort of staying in their lane, as they say, you know, in much the same way that mm -hmm. if you're in a meeting, um, you know, with the ownership, right. You want to be careful that you're not contradicting <laughs> uh, the general manager. And so, um, so yeah, so I've done a little bit of that. I think that different groups do it, uh, to different degrees. And I think it really, um, you know, depends, but the reality is, is, you know, I think that a lot of people are using, you know, I think all coaching staff are using synergy. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, there is the whole question about what is analytics right here <laughs> every once in a while. And so, um, you know, maybe it's not so much, you know, building some kind of predictive model. Uh -huh. And I think that very often, right, I mean, you know, it can be a little dangerous to try and make a recommendation, um, you know, just on a, a couple of games, especially during the regular season. I mm -hmm. think, you know, it becomes a little clearer, you know, in a playoffs where you're getting more uh, repetition of matchups and um, you can try and look at things like whether or not pairs of bigs or whatever are going to work. You see mm -hmm. a lot of that um being mentioned but um but it can be hard right and i think so much goes into it beyond just the uh kind of like oh this lineup is plus five i mean yeah um, in this particular setting in, in in 48 minutes this season or something i think that's the thing that people often don't realize is how little mm -hmm. um lineups play together and how much variety there is in all the lineups i think yeah as you sort of mentioned i mean <laughs> basketball value sometimes that page was just ridiculous and there are all these like one minute five minute units that are playing it's funny as we're having this conversation it occurs to me that there there are maybe some things that I have um, that I have assumed about organizations and their use of analytics uh, that maybe are not true or to different degrees or sort of different styles like um, thinking about uh, I, I I mean the Rockets are probably a bad example because we know they're all in but thinking about something like the Rockets uh, shot selection and um, it's it's so dramatic and it's so stark that that the I think sort of the implication or, or the conventional wisdom is that must be completely an analytic idea or that that shot selection must be completely driven by analytics because it's so far removed sort of from the norm. Um, but I wonder if there's some things that we're seeing teams do that sort of line up with the analytics and some of us who are into analytics assume that it's because the math makes sense as opposed to there might be some basketball reason it makes sense that we might not understand or might not be aware of. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely think that's true. There's a lot of uh, happenstance, right? Stan Van Gundy, I think, was pretty funny talking about that at Sloan Conference yeah. for the last couple of years. I forget when that was, right? And just mm-hmm. how, like, he was kind of forced into that kind of lineup with Dwight, I think, right, with Dwight Howard. And yeah. Four shooters was just kind of injuries or whatever, and, like, it worked well, and so they went with it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could, I mean, I don't think it's quite the same thing with Draymond Green this year, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly the situation could have been different if uh, Lee hadn't been injured, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot, go, you know, I think a lot going on. And there's, if there's one thing that I've really kind of learned the most, uh, you know, from working inside an organization and going in every day, it's really just sort of the human aspect of all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, from everything, like, you don't know who's having a bad day. That's sort of like what you hear about, like, oh, someone's injured. You find out after the fact. Um, you know, but, you know, people might be having mm-hmm. trouble at home or, you know, who knows what's going on. And then if the other thing people don't sort of realize, they sort of say, like, oh, this guy stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the next year the guy's, you know, off, um, you know, playing overseas. And we mm-hmm. all just like, oh, he's playing overseas. And, you know, maybe he'll <laughs> sign a 10-day later or whatever. Yeah. And they don't sort of think about the fact that, you know, some of these players, you know, um, they're young, they may have just gotten married, maybe just had a kid, and now suddenly they're playing, you know, in some Eastern European country where they um, totally feel like a fish out of water while they're, you know, two-month-old, you know, <laughs> is at home. And, I mean, it's just a real, it's real tough. I think that, the, you know, um, people, you know, I, you know, they can never sort of say, right, you hear the jokes about the players and just trying to feed their family. And, you know, I think they all realize that they're very privileged or hopefully they realize that they're pretty privileged to do what they do. But I think we often underestimate um, mm-hmm. how much of a strain it really is. Uh-huh. And and then how much of it is, is situational and contextual. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and I mean, it's the same thing, right? You know, people... In different organizations, you know, they some of them use their strengths, some don't. Some mm-hmm. people get along with their managers and they don't. And, um, you know, the same thing absolutely can happen in the NBA, too. Um, one of the other things I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, that occurred to me as well is something that uh, Seth Partnow and I have talked about a couple times on the podcast is the idea of... Um, you know, forever there's been players who, who we've talked about having, like, a high basketball IQ. Um, and now... Uh, like those players have always existed. Those players exist today. And those players also uh, often seem to have a, an interest in analytics. And so uh, I, I'm wondering about the idea that, that, um, that, that analytics is measuring things that sometimes uh, sort of circling back to the original idea that, that analytics are measuring things that sometimes can be understood in other ways. And that, you know, there might be players who have understood these things intuitively and we've called that basketball IQ. And now they're, you know, they're now they're uh, analytics driven because the math sort of backs it up. Sure. And I think that fits in with what you were saying before about the Rockets, right? I mean, clearly I think they've been very smart in in what they've been doing and kind of it's intentional, but at the same time, and I think you've heard people say it as well, right? Like it's not, you know, a ridiculous thing uh, and a totally new concept that like a three pointer is worth more than than two, right? I mean, certainly when I, when I was, you know, like in high school or whatever, many, many, many years ago, right? You know, we'd be watching games or playing with our friends and everybody would say, our coach would say, like, what's the worst shot in basketball? It's a three-pointer with your foot on the line, right? And that, wasn't, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't happen in 2008, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, yeah, so I think a lot of the concepts, and that's what I always tried to tell people, especially um, if they weren't as familiar, is just like so much of, I think, analytics um, – you know, there, there's many different levels to it, but there's a lot of it that really is just kind of 
kind of quantifying the same sorts of things that people have been sort of saying anecdotally Mm -hmm. um, and kind of know intuitively on their own, right? Like, you know, everybody jokes, you know, you're watching a football game and it's maybe 21 to nothing in the you know, at the end of the first quarter and be like, oh, they're on pace to win 84 to nothing or whatever, right? (laughs) Like, everybody understands that's not the case. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, and so some of these same concepts, you know, Mm -hmm. apply, right? I, you know, I often say that a lot of basketball analytics is really just having the right denominator. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's a great way to put it. Um, It's it's sort of circling back to the idea of data. um, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on... um, on SportView data, being someone who was sort of there and helped disseminate uh, sort of the first mass use of, of play-by-play data, um, I'm wondering how how game-changing you feel like this SportView data set is. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, I think it's the tip of the iceberg, I think. I mean, I think it's clearly very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's also very new. I think there are some people that are doing good work with it. But I also, I obviously haven't seen all the work. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I also don't think that, um, you know, the problem's been solved. I, I, I think that hopefully most people that are doing it, even the people that are doing some of the best work out there, kind of wouldn't say, like, they know everything there is to know about sport. I think there's mm-hmm. really going to just be so much that can be, um, learned and, and extracted out of that data set uh, over time. And so I think that's really exciting. I think that, um, you know, it's clearly the direction that the league is going because it gives you a much more, excuse me, kind of robust, you know, uh, data sets with just a lot richer information. You know, when I was uh, doing basketball value, like a typical, you know, and even now, right, a typical play-by-play you would see in like the NBA um, dot com mm-hmm. feed or whatever, you know, it's like 400, 500 records. Right. And so the sport view is, you know, instead of 400, it's maybe like 80,000. And so it's just, <laughs> you know, or, or imagine more data. Right. And so, um, but then, you know, it's very complicated. I think mm-hmm. you, can't, you do risk being a little too clever by half with some of the stuff that, uh, mm-hmm. people do. And so, um, so yeah. And then the other thing though, that I really think is that, um, you know, the analogy I like to make is right, you know, it's XY for the players and it's XYZ for the ball. And mm-hmm. so um, there's just really not a ton of information. I sort of liken it to playing, you know, the very first probably computer football game I played, you know, like on a real mm-hmm. uh, console, I guess you can call it that, right? It was like the Atari 2600 football. And it was basically <laughs> like a 2D football game right mm-hmm. it's not quite the um i forget the game with the buttons and the, the three the dashes you know what i'm talking about yeah but um you know it's a little better than that but not much and so um you know i think it's really interesting to think about you know how somehow some way and i certainly you know don't know how to do it right but mm-hmm. 10 years from now instead of having dots are we going to start having a few polygons and so it'll be maybe like madden 93 or something uh-huh. and then over time <laughs> it'll get to the point where it's you know, it's as good as, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. NBA, 2K, 14 or 15 or, or those, right? And so, um, you know, I think at some point you have to imagine, like, we'll be at that point. And so once we're there, this is all going to look incredibly primitive, but it's clearly the, the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think traditional data sets have sort of been exhausted in, in their utility? Um, you know, is, is, is all the new good stuff to be done with, with sport view? I wouldn't say exhausted probably, but I do think they're, you know, it's been mined pretty heavily. And so it's a little harder to get that next, uh, mm-hmm. kind of to nugget or whatever, but yeah. I think there's still more that can be 
done. Um, I think that though that you know that's a little riper um, to kind of do newer stuff, um, you know, using the sport view data. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things, uh, that, that we had on our agenda was talking a little bit about education. Um, and I'm wondering, given sort of what we were talking about before, uh, do you feel like there is, um, thinking of analytics as an industry, do you think that it, it is, uh, um, important for the industry to put more effort into education as opposed to just assuming that the interested, talented people are driven enough that they will sort of rise to the surface on their own? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are people, I think, I think most people that I know that are, that work in and around the NBA are pretty supportive of others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it hasn't really been incredibly kind of cutthroat. I mean, it's, some of I guess if everybody's buying for a job or whatnot, mm-hmm. but um, uh, I think people have generally been supportive and try and sort of grow the, mm-hmm. the community, right? I know that's certainly something that's been important to me, but yeah, I don't really feel like there's you know a ton of outlets, and I, I certainly heard in the context of the Sloan conference, I was talking to someone I know that um, uh, it was their first time this year, and you know they sort of made the comment that you know no one. You know, they didn't really learn anything, sort of, and that, like, you know, there aren't really a, I mean, there's some research papers, but there aren't a ton of research papers. It's very different than going to an academic conference. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's some question, and, you know, every once in a while you hear rumblings about that. I certainly, um, you know, thought a little bit about, hey, is there a way to make it more academic or whatever back in the day? But it's hard because I think that, you know, everybody has different motivations and, um, you know, it's hard to kind of get, there's not really a path on like mm-hmm. in a more academic environment to mm-hmm. kind of be successful and have a career without kind of working more for a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like if you can get rewarded with something like tenure for publishing analysis of basketball, then like suddenly there's going to be <laughs> a lot more public grade and published work. Right? Yeah. But if really the path is to kind of get out there then you see people publish if they're trying to do it as part of their portfolio, which is at some level what I was doing with basketball value. Mm-hmm. But then once they sort of feel like they have their portfolio, you know, then the, the calculus changes and they might be, mm-hmm. you know, asking the question, hey, do I really want to be sharing this now or do I think I'm going to be working for a team in three months since I'd rather somehow keep it mm-hmm. private um, and save it for then when it'll be much more valuable? You know, I remember, though, when I was back in grad school, my old advisor was, you know, a little bit more of the theory that, like, you know, if someone can catch up, if you're ahead of someone mm-hmm. effectively, right, like a research group or whatever, and they're yeah. able to catch up and pass you, <laughs> that's sort of more on you than on them. And so he tended to be a little more... Um, uh, kind of open in, in <laughs> what he was doing, right? And, you know, yeah. certainly other uh, organizations, uh, certainly some that I've worked for more recently, right, tend to be a lot more uh, private and sort of very careful about what they're saying. And so I think, you know, people can go in different directions on that. Yeah, I mean, I know that's been a complaint of Sloan the past couple of years is that sometimes the research papers feel like they are um, – uh, I don't know how to say it, like, sort of like their first steps, you know, that it's it's sort of like a presentation on here's a technique that I'm working on and, you know, hire me and then I'll finish it for you, uh, you mm. know, behind, behind the scenes, um, as opposed to sort of presenting, a, you know, a finished methodology or a finished thought or sort of a finished technique for analysis. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it all has to do with, you know, 
is there a way, is there a venue for people that, you know, um, you know, are maybe in the middle of a very successful career, a very lucrative career and aren't quite ready to, and aren't looking to kind of go work for a team mm-hmm. full time. And so like, is there a way that people like that can be doing some work sort of on the side or like as a fraction of their mm-hmm. uh, responsibility and then putting it out there publicly? Cause you know, I think that, you know, people are doing a lot of good work, uh, publicly but you know uh, you know sometimes people will sort of talk about how they came up with this approach and you know i'm sure some significant fraction of the league has been doing it internally and just hasn't talked about it mm-hmm. because like there's no reason to talk about it if you're working for a team yeah <laughs> so i a couple of years ago i published this uh, expected points per shot thing this this shot right, selection right, right. metric and i did some yeah, analysis yeah. with it and uh and dan myers at the apbr forum was like uh we he helped me with some analysis and we uh, regressed it against the four factors and he said hey you know you should you should show this to dean oliver and um so i emailed dean oliver and and with the article and he was very polite and very nice and he got back to me and he you know he was like oh this is very interesting but yeah we've we've been doing this for like 10 years (laughs) and uh it was you know it it had felt revolutionary to me because i'd never seen it before and it was it was kind of a a a bummer i guess to be like oh yeah this is this is this is sort of part of the established uh uh, field it's just yeah we don't get to see it I don't know. I don't know that I think everybody in the league had been doing it. Yeah, that's years, true. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then I think the you know the other thing, right, is that there's like, again, there's very few kind of super revolutionary ideas, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so most things, and you know, and most things that people think of, like they thought of them, so they think that they're things that other can people other people can think of fairly easily as well, right? It, just, yeah. it seems well within your grasp to kind mm-hmm. of you know, have, you know do this kind of work, whether it's building this kind of shot chart mm-hmm. or you know, doing this kind of regression, right? And the, yeah. But the first part, you know, if you haven't seen it, then it feels a little bit revolutionary. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of people that, again, that I think are very smart and doing a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, at the same time, I also think that, you know, like people aren't, uh, you know, geniuses that would be, you know, winning Nobel Prizes if they weren't, you know, you know, running basketball teams or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've taken up a lot of your evening, but I, I just have one more question for you. I've, uh, I usually finish with this with people who are on the podcast the first time, but I'm always curious about what people watch, uh, when they watch a basketball game or sort of what elements they pay attention to. Um, and I know it's changed for me at different times and, you know, I've, uh, the perception that like Zach Lowe is sort of diagramming things in his head as he's watching a game and, and then some, <laughs> you know, some analytics people are sort of, you know, processing things and doing calculations and seeing certain you know sort of statistical concepts being played out as they're watching so yeah you know with your background i'm wondering when you're watching game uh on tv or you know in person what are you paying attention to and what are you sort of noticing as you're as you're watching yeah you know i mean um i guess i say well i mean the first question is something that i always grapple with and i think a lot of people that are Mm -hmm. um kind of in the analytical community grapple with i think everyone's trying to watch a lot Mm -hmm. of uh basketball but it's an interesting question just like how much of your time you should mm-hmm. be investing and watching versus kind of you know building more tools and doing yeah. more analysis right i think you can't be 100 percent doing analysis but so that's one thing so i tend to be kind of just keeping an eye out for whatever it is mm-hmm. i'm working on right if i'm you know looking at a specific kind of metric that's maybe you know talking about i don't know high usage or something right mm-hmm. you're kind of noticing if someone's using a lot of shots and mm-hmm. but you know but well i think most people um you know are a lot like fans and mm-hmm. um you know and so like you know i was watching earlier tonight right and all of a sudden stuff curry like goes off for <laughs> you know threes in a row and mostly you're just watching and admiring that and mm-hmm. you do try and watch and 
um, you know, see kind of what's happening. I think mm-hmm. I'm starting to pay more, even more attention to the replay when I'm watching on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the replays, right? They showed, uh, I was watching the Warriors Pelicans game tonight and they had a nice shot of um, how Anthony Davis got a follow um, rebound dunk. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I definitely try and watch on ball. I definitely try and kind of rewind as I see interesting plays just to kind of figure out you know, what happened there or, you know, maybe who that impressive drive was against to Mm -hmm. see if whether it was against a good defensive player or not. And so I definitely do try and and focus uh, as much as I can sort of off the ball, but I think it's human nature. And so it's really hard to to not. And so I'll definitely kind of catch myself and then kind of make sure I go back. Yeah. Um, But mostly, you know, you talk to a lot of scouts and they'll say things like they just kind of let the game come to them and Uh see what they notice. And, you know, I think it's a lot of the same stuff that, that a lot of people notice. I think that, you know, if you see someone giving effort or not, and Mm -hmm. you know, kind of battling or letting someone kind of, you know, matador defense um, or gambling a lot, but you know, you try and maybe notice just some of the more, uh, you know they're a little bit more subtle, but I mean they're not so subtle that you know that you know you don't notice them. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I, I not a great answer, I guess. But no, um, it was it was really detailed. A lot of people are like, uh, I just watch the ball, uh, or I just watch off the ball, you know, or I pick a specific defender. Um, I'm trying to remember John Schumann uh, from NBA.com was talking about how when he's at games, he sort of has this manual uh, possession charting. Uh, technique that he does so he's like my eyes are just constantly up and down up and down up and down back and forth back and forth waiting for a timeout so i can sort of catch up in my in my play chart right. <laughs> i was like yeah. that sounds exhausting <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. i think it does right i think that i'm trying to kind of take more notes as i'm watching mm-hmm. as well as opposed to just kind of file it in the back of my head because um, mm-hmm. i sort of in general most of the way to my work, I like to take a lot of notes and then be able to pull them back up later. But yeah, it's, you know, definitely, I guess I do try and watch a little more defense, certainly since I started watching, uh, you know, as part of the league as opposed mm-hmm. to outside of it. But I suppose at this point as well, yeah, it's a little harder for me to, to remember how I watched it before. Yeah. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you taking so much time to, to talk to us tonight. Uh, it was great. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I wish you best of luck out there. No problem. Thanks a lot. I've uh, enjoyed it as well, and uh, hopefully we didn't bore too many people, and I uh, shut this off a long time ago. (laughs) 